one. So welcome episode four, uh, Heavy Metal, we're actually down the rabbit hole, the Heavy Metal podcast, where we try to take high level concepts about ball, baseball, softball, and discuss them. Uh, kind of keeping with traditions we had last week, we have guests this week to help us move these conversations along because it gets real quick where me and Robert are out of our league. So we bring in experts to talk. So we've had, uh, right now we have Coach Bartlett with the University of Texas and Coach Dan Gratz and looking at the NAICC head softball coach. That's correct? Yeah, correct. Beautiful. Um, before we get started, coach, starting with you, Coach Bartlett, just uh, kind of give us a brief bio about yeah. what, what it is, what you do, and where you are now. Absolutely. Well, the story, I guess, starts at um, Notre Dame. I was a two-time All-American for Deanna Gumpf and went on and played a couple seasons professionally for the Chicago Bandits. While I was simultaneously just trying to be a professional student, I didn't even think I wanted to coach. I got an MBA at Loyola and worked for the amazing Yvette Healy. So if you haven't had her on your show yet, um, head coach of the University of Wisconsin, she's dynamic. Um, she's just so gifted and charismatic and um, was really blessed, I think, to learn a ton of things. We just complimented one another well. Um, and I need to learn things like patience and how to communicate and um, get ideas across. And I, I couldn't have worked for a better boss there and tried to get out of coaching. Dear friend of mine who I played with professionally got the head coaching job at Northern Illinois. So I started coaching again and I went to law school that time and got a law degree while we rebuilt the program at Northern and um, Christina Sutcliffe does an amazing job there now. Um, moved to Europe for a couple seasons. My husband finished his hockey career. We came back. I spent a year in the Big Ten at Purdue working for Kim Schutte, who's another wonderful friend and mentor. And then I got the head coaching job at Ball State. And um, we went from zero to hero pretty quick. I'm really, really proud of the work we did there. I had some amazing coaches that I worked with. And that's when the coaching renaissance um, came about. And that's why we're sitting here now. And after five seasons at Ball State, I loved it and I had no intention of leaving. Um, COVID hit and the wonderful Mike White from Texas called and he had an opening on his staff and it just ended up being a happy fit. So we packed up the kids in the middle of the pandemic and moved to Austin and we love it. So I help, I'm a little bit of a jack of all trades here. I'm in charge of the outfield um, and I work, you know, we know with Sting closely on the offensive pieces and the offensive programming and skill acquisition, things like that. Um, of course, have my hand in recruiting and really anything coach needs on the internal side with the kids and the culture and the team and stuff. You, you tried pretty hard not to be a coach. I did. I did three different times, actually. Yeah. Um, my parents, the, the poor things, they sent me to the University of Notre Dame thinking I was going to run the world. And um, I just went a lot of softball games. So. <laughs> Yeah, it, you look. Yeah, your your route was. I'm just not going to be a coach. Not going to be a coach. And it just, it just, it just kept dragging you back in. It did. It did. And then finally, by the third time, it smacked me in the face. Um, I got serious about it and was lucky enough to get a head job quickly. And I think that was the incredible part about. I was in this sweet spot of college softball at mid major. We were well resourced. Um, we could do some things, and we could always compete for conference championships and compete on a national level, but you didn't have the machine that we have here, the staffing and the resources and the video, you know, in-house video guy, we didn't have any of that. Um, so I hired the smartest people I could to work around me and really Jenny, Josh, Mitch, Becca, and Jeremy were such a big reason that I'm sitting here right now, but we had to grind and we had to work and we had to be really efficient um, at so many facets of the game at that level. And at the same time, I feel like there was a ton of trial and error, especially early on with what we're going to talk about today. And it's doing damage and swinging with a positive approach angle. And what are the differences, if there are any in the two swings? And oh boy, I mean, when I went for it, I went for it. We had kids like a 20 degree um, approach angle. And now looking back, I'm like, oh, holy shit, we were just swinging straight to the sky, you know? Um, so we, you know, Becca came in and we calmed that thing down a little bit. Um, and we really did a, we, you know, we're right in the mix with some top tier national programs offensively my last year at Ball State. And I'm so proud of that piece, but I'm so grateful really to Ball State and my staff there that we were able to really grind and experiment and figure some things out. And 
um, keep the program on the right trajectory. I don't know that being on a bigger stage with more resources and that pressure to win right, you know, exactly right away at this level, I would have been able to, you know, do those things to that degree. So well, good. Uh, and you know, rolling seamlessly along is, is coach Kress and I'm saying that correctly, right? Uh, up there yeah. in uh, tropical Northern Iowa. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. We almost broke zero today. <laughs> hey, we're in the Texas panhandle. We're not supposed to get above nine over the next couple of days. Oh, so, yeah. That can, they, that, that cold front is supposed to sweep through, but, uh, Similar thing, walk us through what brought you to where you are right now and maybe, I don't know, maybe if somebody had to drag you and it was kicking and screaming into coaching as well. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, mine was, uh, I didn't ever actively try, I, I think, to, I didn't get get a, a doctorate or anything like that, <laughs> trying to get away from it, but PhD, but I, you know, I, um, I started coaching softball, honestly, because, um, I was, I was like, Hey, I played baseball. Like I can, I can do this. And obviously, you know, you, you start to figure out there's uh, quite a bit that's different in terms of some nuances, but um, you know, we'll get into that a little bit. Uh, the hitting side is much more similar than different. Um, I started coaching. Um, I was a student assistant at a D three school where I went to uh, get my undergrad and, um, and I wrestled there um, through college. Um, and then, uh, in Iowa, we play, um, softball, high school softball in the summer. So I was able to start coaching high school teams, uh, throughout the summer. So I coached college season basically in the fall and the spring, and then in the summer coach softball, uh, high school softball. And so I was able to get like hundred to, I, I want to say one summer it was like 125 to 150 games, uh, under my belt between, you know, college and JV and varsity and all of that fun stuff. So it was awesome just to be able to do that for a while when you're 18, 19, 20. Um, I, I, once I finished um, college, I, I uh, coached club ball for a year. Just, you know, I was at, I, I was, I didn't have the, I was working a full-time job, didn't have the ability to, to really, you know, coach over the summer and, and put the time into it that I needed. Um, and then I really, that's kind of when I decided like, Hey, I, I you know, I, I miss the high school piece of it. You know, if you've never done it in Iowa, it's it's high school softball and baseball in the summer is like a it's like a cult. I mean, it, people love it. And it's you're filling stadiums and, um, you know, you're playing and, uh, you know, all all day and all night. It's awesome. So got back into that. It was a, at 23. I got hired at Cedar Rapids Kennedy, which is one of the biggest schools. We uh, it's a 5A school here um, uh, in the state. Um, and spent three years there, uh, kind of, you know, really turned that program around. They weren't great, um, before we got there. Um, and you know, at the end we were the number one team in the state. And then just recently, um, my entire staff that I had there stayed there, um, when I left and I'll get into that in a second. Um, and they were a top five team in the country this year, uh, for spring and summer ball teams. So, um, they are, uh, doing well. It was great to, you know, be there and kind of get my own thing going and figure that out. Um, in that time, I was also a junior college coach, assistant coach at John Wood, which is in, uh, Quincy, Illinois. Um, and I was getting my master's all at the same time. So kind of coaching two teams, getting my master's substitute teaching when I could, um, so kind of the, the opposite pattern of, of Megan, I was, I was trying to be in softball as much as I could and, and just make money on the side, you know, living in extra rooms, basements, attics, whatever, uh, sleeping on the floor, trying to, you know, just live in the dream when you're young. Um, and then I, uh, I basically had to make a decision. Um, I got offered, uh, I applied and got offered the director of softball operations job at the university of Iowa. And at the same time, I got offered a director of special education, um, that's kind of my passion, just um, psychology and, and special ed. That's, that's, you know, my side gig, I guess. And, and so I had to make a decision there whether I fully wanted to go into softball or not. Uh, chose the, the director of ops position, um, really kind of dove in. That's what led me away, uh, away from Kennedy and John Wood. Um, and it was great to kind of get experience. And, you know, I, I kind of had my thoughts on what we could do. And, you know, we knew it worked at high school, but, you know, wanted to see, you know, what it could be done at, at the higher levels and uh, being a director of ops, you know, you're not hands-on or anything like that, but um, it was good to kind of get the, that side of things and figure that out. Um, learned a lot, but uh, met a lot of great people. That was actually, um, I want to say, I, Megan, I don't know if you remember this. We, we shared a car ride back from uh, 
from Wrigleyville. Yeah, from Convention, right. the thing with Justin Stone. Yeah, right. We we all kind of uh, left the NFCA convention. Sorry, NFCA to go see Justin yeah. Stone. <laughs> yeah, and so, anyways, we we had this crazy car ride that I think we all almost got sick on, but we got got to meet each other. Got got to meet Josh as well. Yeah. Um, it, funny, her um, her staff. I, let me go back to talk about Megan's staff at Ball State. I think everybody on that staff has a division one job in a, maybe a power five job at this point is that right so josh mississippi state mississippi state got one at cal. yeah Mitch is at cal yeah you, that was a that was and a really Beck is at cal yeah um, that's very yeah i mean that was she put together an incredible staff at ball state and it was they were doing some crazy stuff before really anybody even knew what it was uh anyways so spending a year at, uh, at the university of iowa and then now i'm here uh been here for a couple of years um at nyack and and just trying to Honestly, we're trying to break the game. Myself and our associate head coach, just we think there's a lot of things that, you know, are different. I, I know it's – Megan, you've been around. You've seen it. Um, we're still fighting I've the battle. I've lived it. <laughs> we're, we're still I fighting the battle. I actually it. Yeah, yeah it's, very it's, humbling. We call it the renaissance, <laughs> coaching renaissance. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I think it's still happening, so I'm not sure if we can talk about it. <laughs> anyway, so that's kind of my career. Well, thank you. I uh... – you know, as you know, as God has a sense of humor, sitting here as a baseball guy, I had three brothers growing up. Uh, the previous podcast we interviewed my father, who uh, has been a coach for 50 years in the game of baseball. So the first thing I get is a left-handed daughter, who is now my softball <laughs> coach. So God has perfect. Thunder down. Yeah, exactly. So my, I've got a daughter and a son, and my pure lefty is uh, my daughter, which I'm I'm just happy to death about. But. Uh, you know, that's one of the reasons we are having a conversation. Robert and I are, are pretty heavily on the baseball side of things. And with heavy metal baseball, um, one of the things we've struggled with and we would like more access to is getting softball players to come in. And I, I think they're, you know, from the parent point of view or even the player's point of view, they think there may be a tremendous difference in how a softball player swings the bat or attacks a pitch versus how a baseball player uh, approaches or swings the bat and attacks a pitch. And with you guys, obviously with what we just heard with that tremendous buyout, how long you've been doing it. Um, you know, we'll start with coach grass this time. Could you kind of read us into what you've seen in, with ball, the softball swings and their similarities or differences? Yeah. I mean, I touched on it a little bit and I'll, I'll try to stay just pretty short on this, but, there are far more similarities than differences. There's really, I mean, the biggest difference, honestly, is the the body makeups of a male versus a female athlete. Like, there's just, there's so many things that are simple. I mean, honestly, if, if we would just want to, I'm going to make it super simple, and it, people might listen to this and, and criticize it, but it's literally, we're trying to hit a ball as hard as we can for us in the air. I mean, you know, that that's, that's the goal. And I know that's the goal in baseball as well. And, you know, that's really simplistic, but I think too often for whatever reason, um, you know, I could tell my opinion, but it, people are trying to reinvent the wheel. It's like people want people in the softball world want the softball swing to be different. And it, I, like I said, I, it just, there's far more similarities and differences. And, and kind of what misconceptions uh, coach are you, are you saying that you see that are, are, are put out there and, and, and maybe commonly taught? Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's, you know, we in softball, we see a ton of um, one plane, one speed kind of one timing window kind of swings. Um, and there's just not a whole lot of adjustability. And I think you know, I, people love T work and, you know, it's I, I we don't we don't do T work. We, we just our baseball and softball programs here don't do it. Um, we just are even our our T work is, is front toss, you know, and so um, it, it's just that's I think that's the biggest piece is is you know there's like we'll look at hitters in softball and we'll say hey we can beat this kid up and we can beat her down and so in reality what are you what are you trying <laughs> you know we see that a lot I mean our scouting reports go in it's like I don't I just don't get how people can just teach a one plane one timing window swing and, and it I think the biggest misconception is, just comes from too many people looking at things with their eyes and not studying data or slow-mo video or or anything like that and so I you know, like I said, without taking up too much time and getting way deep, I think that's the, well, I think this, it's this, just. This is called down the rabbit hole. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, like I said, I think 
I'll go to the, the biggest difference I talked about is it, just the, the, the body makeup, right. And, the, and just how, you know, understanding for, for, I think the biggest kind of low hanging fruit example is females have less in general, not, not all, but in general have less scap kind of mobility, strength, stability in general. And so that causes some issues with, um, kind of staying connected, staying on plane, um, being efficient, uh, with their swing. And so I think that led some people to think, well, you know, if they can't do this and we have to teach the swing different and it, and I don't honestly, you know, we know with movement now just attack the movement side and, and, you know, build up that strength and build up that mobility and stability and, and then everything kind of solves itself. So I think that's the biggest difference, you know, going to the similarities, you know, I think it's easy to say the pitch release points are, are different, you know, obviously one coming down, one coming up, that's kind of what people think. But in reality, um, Alan Nathan did a great study. Uh, I want to say it was maybe 2011 or 12 uh, on the World Series and had some really good data come out of that. And he's got some things posted on his website. And, and basically, the, the gist of it is the vertical drop over the last 12 feet of ball flight is very similar between baseball and softball. And so other than other than just, the, you know, the the release points in general, like off the mound, the ball flight in the, the, that last 12 feet is very similar. So that kind of that knocks some some of the stigmas off, I think, right away. And, and well, and usually again, everybody brings up that the balls are different. And that, I mean, granted, they are different. Like one thing that I found that I was really interesting is a, a softball has a coefficient of restitution of like a 0.4 and a baseball has a 0.5. So technically a, a softball is harder than a baseball. Yeah, no, right. Yeah, no, that's it's it's such an interest. Like if you dive into it and you really it, I mean, if you listen to people that are outside of softball and really smart, you know, and Alan Nathan or, uh, you know, whether you're talking about just ball flight dynamics or um, or skill acquisition or whatever, you know, those people are saying like these things can be done exactly the same. And so I, I just I think with I think it's easy to say that the swings are different and it, they should be taught different. And I just don't think it's that easy. And Coach Bartlett, and living this as well, right, as a high-level player living this, you know, again, I'm a baseball guy, and I wasn't even a good baseball player. Uh, again, you always tell people I love the game more than ever loved me. Uh, but again, speak this, would you know, some of the things from your perspective as a player now a high-level coach about these. There's some misconceptions about the idea of training softball players. Yeah. Um, I, com- I mean, I completely agree with Dan. Um, the difference in – upper body strength, right. Between men and women, we're, we're constantly addressing. Um, and we have got some absolutely powerful dynamic hitters in this program, but whether or not they can actually latch their scap, right. Because we have to be able to account for the rise ball. So really, really similar to like a four seamer in baseball. Right. Um, but when you have Rachel Garcia throwing it at 70 miles an hour and we're from 43 feet and she's jumping almost to the front of the circle, like you're just going to have, yeah, you have to have a swing that's got adjustability in time and you need to be able to hold time. So that I have actually, but being able to like latch the scap and feel that I feel like that's a really elite level thing. Like, I don't know that that's what I would hand to people training 14, 15, 16, 17 year old kids. Um, for me, I think the biggest bang for the buck there with the the younger kids you're training. And yes, I, I think the swings are I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm obviously female and I've never been in the baseball world, but I can only imagine 98% similar. Um, but for me, it's just how really unstable the really they are through their core. Um, and I found that a lot in mid-major and at Ball State, I think we did a really good job of recruiting multi-sport athletes and kids that naturally move pretty well. So as we started to go, yeah, go down the rabbit hole of how to get them to hold time and move well and do those things. They adapted pretty well, but I could see that the kids that were already like just super strong through their core, they were able to hold posture longer, which of course they, those kids probably hit in rhythm a little bit better. They probably hold time a little bit better. They've got better adjustability. So we haven't, we haven't built out here, you know, just with me getting here in um, August, they're, the movement prep, right? The small movements that we make them do every day before they even step in the cage, the things we have hammered or their core strength. And can they actually work through their spine phases, right? Holding on to the PVC without shaking. 
Um, and again, these are, these kids are the best at what they do. They're, they're incredible athletes. And I don't know that we have anybody, if you put them through an on-base use screen, I think we have three kids that still don't shake. Um, and they, tr- I mean, we've got elite form platforms in our training room. Mel's amazing, our strength coach. And so it was an interesting thing when um, Steve Singleton as you know, the other assistant here, and he was with the twins organization for a really long time. And when I got here, I think that's the first thing I kept saying to him. I'm like, we have got to be better at holding posture through our swing. It is the only way we're going to have enough adjustability and to be as powerful as you want them to. Like if we have a bang for the buck, that's it. And he's like, I just feel like no one talks about that in baseball. Like you talk about it, but like you give the kid, you know, you give a guy a correction and then he can hold it pretty well. And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. Did you have a six pack or a 12 pack from the time you were 15 to now? Do you like, and he was like, oh, and I was like, okay, now think about all the range of body types we have on our team. Like, would you say that chick's got a strong core? And he's like, no. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. So, um, yeah, like as Dan said, we could go down the rabbit hole here from so many different like tiny nuances. Well, it's funny you guys talk about posture because, and I haven't worked with a lot of softball girls, um, but we've had a few, like we actually did an assessment last night on the girl. And one of the things that we see quite common is they they don't hold hip hinge in the side bend very well. They come out of they hip don't. hinge and as they start rotating, they stand up. They do. Almost every girl I've ever worked with, that's what they tend to do. Pop their chichis out a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Um, something that we're constantly, I don't know if trying I to bad. On it, it is and to, I think you'd ask the question about what are things you see happening right before the kids get to us and people kind of training eyewash to Dan's point about like, you don't even have to own the tech to be able to like, understand it. Right. Do you, there's, there's so much on the internet. Like you wouldn't even have to own a K vest or blast or, you know, a rap Soto or a Yacker tech, whatever. Um, and you could, you should understand what you're looking out. Um, but it's like what people can see is the eyewash or like for a while it was like super high kicks. Well, throw a high kick on someone who has no core stability and you're going to get a hot mess of a swing. When you run into it, you're probably going to launch the thing. Right. But yeah, by the time you need to be a little bit more balanced and have better adjustability and hold time a little better and you're seeing better pitching. So I just feel like to that particular thing, yes, the, the, uh, the, yeah. Hip hinge to side bend isn't even like in their glimmer. It's because they had, you know, Joe from down the street teaching them a, a high kick that has absolutely no playability. And we have a couple kids that high kick and kids that can control it. I'm like, dude, it's sweet. That's comfortable for you. Let's go. Let's get it. Um, but especially by the time you get to our level, that's, you've got to be a pretty special kid, strong, whole time, really well, great eyes. Um, but that's just exact in softball. I feel like that, the lack of core stability, yeah. Trouble holding latch has been completely exacerbated by the eyewash. Yeah, people doing stuff off a tee, we're the same way. The only time we ever pull out a tee is literally one of those days where it's like we did a full defense, like the whole team together. And now we're going to do a full, you know, baseball BP circuit. And honestly, we just need that first group that's going to hit on the field to just get warm really quick. Like, and other than that, they kind of sit in a closet and collect dust. Yeah. Rank, that's rank Harrison in the world of, of baseball and softball, right? Yeah. Uh, I have a question. It's, it's not in the thing, but it, it's a curiosity as a, as a parent who's a, mm-hmm. uh, a softball player. And, you know, you speak to the uh, value of a multi-sport athlete, oh, right? And yes. I, I witnessed something this year. My daughter did not play volleyball growing up. She played multiple sports, but mm-hmm. she... And people were kind of amazed that the fact that she could overhand serve with her left hand. I said, well, that motion is pretty common to her already. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if you have any advice, because again, if we have parents that do listen to this and not going down the idea of launch angle stuff like that, they, they probably don't care that much about. If you had to pick a handful of sports that would develop that core strength, you know, what is it that you guys are potentially looking for? You say, I want multi-sport athletes. You know, uh, yeah. I can imagine wrestling would be something that would, would be highly beneficial. But, you know, uh, so we'll start with you, Coach Parma. First, if you're going to go look at a player, what what kind of athletic background are you really looking at? Do you see greatest correlation? Yeah. I mean, of course, it's all going to be relative to their softball skill and need, right? Like, I would not take the best player in the country because she didn't play multiple sports. But what I sure prefer she did, yeah. I love the overlap with volleyball. 
Um, I also love, love volleyball and played it growing up. Um, but I think there's a ton of explosion and agility, um, just a lot of overlap, but honestly, I don't even basketball worries me a little bit just because the potential for a knee injury. Um, but again, I would not recruit a kid cause she was a stud basketball player. So for me, yes, it's definitely going to help so much with the, like the spatial awareness and the body awareness and, um, a hundred different things, right. With turning them into the absolute best ball player they can be. But I think the whole next level of that is they just learn to compete and lead in a completely different way, right? They haven't played with the same 10 kids growing up, or it hasn't just been in one um, facet, right? Or on one field, like they've been on the court and, you know, every sport, every sport culture has got its different nuances and people that are attracted to it. Right. Um, so I think there, there's just so many, so many different benefits. I wouldn't be picky. Um, I would probably stay away from cross country things that where you're not actually exploding and moving super quickly. I don't know that that's probably going to help us a ton in the sport of softball. Dan, I feel like you're laughing. Like you've got some, <laughs> some interesting, uh, tidbit to add I'm, here. I'm just saying, cause I've got, I coach, a, I help coach my daughter's team. And we've got three girls on that team that wrestle. That's and, cool. And yeah. they, they are just by byproduct of being wrestlers. They are hard to beat mentally. Mm-hmm. And they seem to have tremendous body control. So, you know, and I bet they can hit a rise ball. <laughs> no, I don't think they have enough upper body nice. strength. They can turn the barrel. And we're 11 yeah. and 12, and people keep telling me this girl's throwing a rise ball. And I just don't see that she, you know, I look at this girl in the middle, like, I don't know if she's strong enough to throw a rise ball yet. But people keep telling me that. But yeah, I'm not deceived. So, yeah, we'll see one soon. We're all, we're moving up to 14U this year. So, you're getting closer. Getting You're getting closer. closer. We have somebody who can, who can throw it. But uh, same thing, Coach Gratz, you know, you're in recruiting and stuff like that. I keep throwing a wrestling out there because your background. But uh, what do you, I mean, what do you see with some of these athletes that show up that are one sport athletes versus multi-sport? Yeah, we, so, you know, it's interesting because we don't, just because of where we're at, we're small school, Iowa high school uh, around a, a small schools in Iowa. I mean, that's primarily what we recruit from, uh, from. We, so I'll use like, <laughs> we love any, any sport that teaches better body control. So you talked about wrestling, right? Uh, we're in the heart of Iowa. Wrestling is huge, especially high school girls. Wrestling is blowing up right now. Um, and, and it teaches incredible, incredible body control. We have, I'll say it for the first time publicly, we prop, we might have the Juco player of the year on our roster right now. And she was a state championship wrestler. Uh, she won a state title last year and the kid just understands how to move. Like we can say, Hey, here's what we will show her a video of something. And then we'll, you know, of her doing it. And then we'll show maybe a, a player kind of close comparison and say, Hey, can you do this? Can we, you know, can you manipulate your body to, to create this movement pattern? And she'll just do it because she, she just understands how to manipulate her body versus, you know, maybe a one sport athlete that's only ever played um, that's only ever played softball. Um, it's really hard because their body only knows softball movement patterns. So, yeah, I mean, really any sport wrestling, gymnastics, we love hockey players. Uh, we see a ton of, uh, uh, I, I don't know, just the hand eye coordination is just really, really good. So we had a slapper a handful, I think it was three years ago. Um, that we really recruited hard before I got to, to Nyack. Um, and the kid was an elite level slapper. I mean, just elite. And she ended up going and playing division one hockey and ultimately, I mean, great athlete, but they slide up our board pretty quick when they do things like that, because they're going to figure out how, you know, we've, we've messed around with the idea. Texas, Texas, you know, hosts a camp that's going to have 250 kids once COVID's over. And we're like, Hey, what if we just, what if we make them like do a tumbling routine and, and just watch, just see what happens for real. Like, we're like, you know, I'll give a, a story quick. I worked in uh, Alabama camp down with, with Pat Murphy when I was, I think I was still in Iowa, just went down and helped out and got to see a lot. We got put inside for a ton of time because it was like, like hurricanes type weather. Uh, so we were inside for like three days, I think, out of that week long camp. And we played all these games and we found that the best kids, the best athletes on the field were also really good at translating it to off the field with like, we were playing dodgeball or we were playing kickball or, you know, just different types of games and athletes. I love to watch athletes be athletes and it doesn't matter if it's on the softball field or basketball or volleyball or wrestling, whatever. So, you know, I think that's just the more you, I mean, it's, you hear everybody say this, but the more you can do it, 
the more you can play more sports, the better. And then when they get to us, when they can really focus on one sport and they're going to explode, their body's just going to under, you know, it's already got the understanding. Now it's just going to make massive gains in, in the softball world. So yeah, I, long story short, every, every, anything you can do, we see a ton of four sport athletes here. Just play it as long as you can just love playing, being an athlete. Same. You're good. We'll come find you. But, uh, that's kind We're of, not going to miss you. Yeah. Kind of, that kind of fires you up. I kind of want to try, cause I don't know if you've seen any of our earplug and iPad study that we've been doing. Uh-uh. Um, so we, what we found was we, we put earplugs on our, on our hitters and they swing that faster. What? Yeah, yeah, I know it crazy. sounds stupid, but seven, I'll, I'll promise you it works. Seven to ten, <laughs> not even marginal. We're talking almost some got seven to ten miles an hour immediately. So now I, I want to try it. I want to try it on a. We've never had a softball girl do, it, but I kind of want to try it on a softball girl, uh, right. and ah. just to see if it has the same effects. The the eye patch is so it improves their vision, like it syncs your eyes up together better, and then it increases your visual perception, which then increases your movement coordination. But, so you do uh, like five with one eye and five with the other. Yeah, like we have a we have a protocol that we do that that I did when I was a, still a high school baseball coach before I got the job with the Brewers. Um, we could essentially figure out what your dominant and non-dominant eye is because your blast metrics will be different. Oh. And then the best hitters, it didn't matter which eye we had covered or if we had no cover, they would be able to repeat their swing no matter what. How interesting. Vision is fascinating. That's like a whole different podcast day. Um, and definitely not one that you should have me on. Yeah, uh, we actually we actually already have a podcast on that. Well, look at that. <laughs> not to check it out. Um, yeah. You got to dig into these guys, Megan. These guys are they do some crazy stuff on. Yeah, I mean they're not far from you. Just just tell Mike, hey, we got to bring these guys in and listen to them talk a little bit. Yeah, you, you're, awesome. you're gonna see. We're gonna see Texas on TV against Oklahoma. Uh, you know and uh, in the world series and they're going to be texas all going to have earplugs in everybody's like what the heck are they doing <laughs> trying, to, trying to get rid of the noise they don't want to hear anything no i'm going to knock on the wall keely i'm going to need 25 sets of earplugs yeah. right tomorrow yep it's a protocol that, that's developed it, it was one of those things that was kind of uh, uh mine, mine and robert's got a relationship our, our direct relationship is uh if you walk into the academy go hey what if we tried this the other one almost has to go all right you know, well, we've got to the point where we've had to make some stuff proprietary because we've had some some Zoom meetings with a with some professional teams about it, but we we had to like kind of I put know. it down because we we don't want to give the house away. We, I mean, there. Well, full disclosure, oh I went to Texas Tech University, so oh no way. But they're hey, but they're not talking to us, are they? <laughs> They're not talking to us either. <laughs> Joe, Joe to play us, Coach Evans. Like we are just a couple hours apart. So, yeah. but we I kind of get back on script, uh, like I said, which is not real hard for me. And Ron, like I said, this call will have it all. We probably we could probably skip that. We we are we kind of already covered that the difference in pitch angles. I mean, do you think there's a big difference because of where the angles come from? Honestly, I never literally. I haven't played baseball since T-ball. So I feel like that's one of those, I mean, the, as Dan said, the numbers say no, not really. Um, and then really, if you took the the metrics of even an elite level rise ball, like it's going up at an angle, but it's not rabbit I, I hole. Think it's a rabbit hole. So very similar. <laughs> we would just say very similar to the four seamer. I would say from a, like a vision and uh, like calibration standpoint, like it would be slightly different because you just wouldn't have the visual working memory to know um, how to feed forward your eye movements be because you haven't seen a pitch from down. It's like that Jenny Finch video when she goes up and strikes out all those guys. They oh have, yeah. They have no internal model of how a softball is going to move. Like all of us yeah. have internal models of how objects move through through space and how it's yes. on earth by gravity. And because those guys had never really seen a softball pitch, they had no idea how to feed forward their predictions. No. And I, but I do love watching it. I will tell you that like anytime, like, you know, if there's some guy, he's just like talking all kinds of smack and I got this and you don't have you ever this. seen And that's that. probably why, because your brain doesn't have the hard drive to understand I what's about to happen. I was deeply satisfying because there were some people who came over to my house once. So obviously it's a mortal sin to have a left-handed daughter and not let her pitch. I know. What were you doing? And so she is a pitcher and some people okay. came over and they began talking about talking, talking. I said, I will let her strike you out. 
yeah. she never started to sell. And she sat down those boys, and I just sat on my porch and laughed. And just because they 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 were so far behind, they had no how to move. It was <laughs> deeply, deeply satisfying for me and my daughter. Uh, to, I bet I'm proud of her. Oh, yeah. I think it's great. Um, so I don't, I'm not the right person to answer that question, but, um, as much time as I've spent with, with coach Singleton, he's never, and again, like he played in the twins organization and coached in it, um, for a few years. And he's never mentioned, um, all of my super smart baseball ish guys, I guess in the sport have never pointed out that difference. We don't, if there is a difference, we don't train to it. It, it might just be such a small nuance. It's doesn't make any sense. Well, and also in moving forward, um, because I, I think I've mentioned this I, uh, on Twitter, I think the world of softball and women's sport is about to experience an explosion, really, in what we're about to see what is capable because the attention is beginning to turn towards, you know, absolutely what are we capable of. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, but why is it, uh, and I guess we'll start with you, Coach Barbara, you know, limited, why is it? You think softball's been slow to adapt some of these technology pieces, um, and you know, in implementing them, and in, in kind of the and uh, their uh, aversion to letting cross over. You spoke recently you have baseball people, but there's you know still seems to be some of this aversion to crossing over and implementing some of the stuff that baseball's ahead of. Uh, and, and you know, that's a broad question, I know, but yeah, and multifaceted. Yeah, I think. Um, some yeah, of it is just start a little more drilled down. Why do you think softball has been slower to adapt some of these technology pieces? Well, the technology piece, I just think um, that's just resourcing and manpower and funding. And, um, you know, these most places aren't the, the elite level budgets and things like that. Right. So some of it is if you're going to put any part of your, you know, resourcing and staffing and things to it. Um, it's a big leap of faith to take. If you've never worked with it and you don't understand it. So I, I think some of it was just the, it just had to creep into the lifeblood. I think of who the sport is. Um, the crossover question, I feel like that's a, that's really a tough one for me. And I know that for a long time, there were many members of the old guard. Right. And I, I constantly am, are so thankful to those women and I try and put myself in their shoes. Right. And they're, they're pretty protective over the sport. And I think that just bled into a lot of different areas about not having crossover. And it's, it's a different sport than baseball. Um, but that was also the same generation that saw softball go from an unfunded club sport where they didn't pay coaches to the fact that I get to sit in this beautiful office and stare at our jumbotron and we'll, you know, we get to do, do this and I, I make a wonderful living and we can do this on TV. And, but that came at a lot of like grind and sacrifice, you know, like it, um, because of course, because just the way the money machine works and resourcing all this, all this tech was created for really golf. And then it kind of bled into baseball for the most part. Right. And a lot of the know-how I feel like early on, like that wonderful staff that Dan was so gracious to mention, um, Josh and Mitch, and those were guys. And what I quickly found out having men on my staff and Josh is amazing. And I learned, I am a far better coach for working with Josh Johnson. Um, but he, he had access and resources and it wasn't that I couldn't understand those things or I didn't understand those things. I don't even know where to get them. I don't even know that it was something that existed because I came up so organically right through that kind of softball bubble and that protected world. Um, so I hope that makes, I hope that makes sense. I just feel like it was, some of it was practical and I just had to get into who we are. Cause, and some of it was, um, I don't. Yeah. It was yeah, yeah. parting of parting of the sport in itself. Right. Well, that's a wonderful job in trying to navigate things. I did ask you a pretty broad based questions. You faced <laughs> a, lot, a large part of your career into what is currently beginning to take over. Um, yeah. so and a similar question to you, Coach Bratz. Uh, again, and you've been high school level as well, which uh, Robert and I see some of this on our end, even on baseball, where there's a huge resistance to the high school level baseball players to integrate this tech, even though it's so this has become so affordable that my high school team could realistically afford it. Uh, any similar experiences with you with trying to onboard this stuff in your resistance or, or why you may have seen? Yeah, I mean, we, you know, one of the things I've been tagged as this data, you know, driven guy since I was 
23 when I got my first head coaching job and it, you know, it's just, we, we would, you know, radar guns and we're writing stuff down in notebooks. And, you know, we had papers sitting all over the place in our, we had a, we were lucky enough to have an outdoor clubhouse and, you know, that's kind of where we started. Um, I think, you know, to Megan's point, it kind of hit the nail on the head. It's very much just you're, you're similar to what baseball saw in the last few years where you're, you're cycling through some, I mean, I don't want to, you know, for lack of a better term, some of the coaches that have been around a long time, some of the older coaches and they've done things a certain way and, um, and, and it's gotten us to where we're at. And I think, you know, to make that next jump, obviously we know it's going to be vitally important. Um, but uh, in reality uh, it's, tech in, in softball is definitely here it's to what extent I'm not sure um you know I, I think it's there and you know I, I there's a story about uh one of the most prominent ACC baseball schools in the country they have this entire um this great facility and all this tech and but they don't use it because none of the coaches on their staff know how to use it they just have it because they need it to recruit <laughs> and and then they get the people in and they're you know it, it, it's funny I've heard that story from a few different baseball people um, but you know, it's, it's taking, you know, there's so many things that go into it. You know, obviously the cost is, it was a barrier and now it's, it's so affordable. You know, I did a podcast, uh, or a coaching clinic, I guess, a couple months ago on uh, data-driven, um, player development on a budget. So for $500, how can I do all the player development stuff I need to, and, you know, blast sensor and a DK ball and, um, a radar, a pocket radar and, um, just honestly using, you know, up until, um, track was free, just using like Google, um, uh, drive and, and putting everything in sheets and, and whatnot, and just tracking data over time. So I think it's less about cost, And I think it's more about lack of understanding, you know, not knowing where to start, not wanting, you know, not knowing even who to talk to about it. And, and, um, it's a tough place in, in the coaching world, especially in college, because, you know, you can feel, if you don't have connections around, it's hard to ask questions, you know, and, and because you don't want to feel vulnerable and like people are like, Hey, I've been doing this for 10 years. What are you doing? You know, you just you never want to get into that. So I think there's, there's a lot of, like Megan said, there's a lot that goes into this. Um, but I do think we're probably about five years away from this being completely normal. And then the question will be, what's the next step, but we're probably still a few years away because I think enough teams are doing it. Um, you know, I'll, I'll put, I'll put Megan on the spot. Uh, Oklahoma just hired a, a, a coach that was in the big 12 and their staff is no longer at that school. And they effectively, they have a director of player development now. I mean, that's, it's, it's like, a, um, we're getting you know, one. <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, right. No, me too, and we're getting, that, yeah, no, hundred percent. Like that's where it's going. I mean, it went from the fight to, to get just a second assistant to, you know, the third assistant talk is there to now I need a video coordinator. Now we need a director of player development. We should already have a director of ops, you know, all those things because there, all this stuff takes time and it takes a lot of energy and it takes a lot of manpower. We just don't, we have two coaches here to, to coach eight, uh, 19 softball players. Plus we both have to work other jobs on campus. So we just physically don't have enough time in the day to even do 90% of what we want to do. So, I mean, I think that's a big piece of it as well. Yeah. I think that's, gosh, yeah, that's well said. Um, I mean, we're finding a little bit of that rabbit hole. I think half of our staff is new and um, we're, we're like those people. I feel like we've got a ton of data that we're not even sure what to do with. So um, resourcing and staffing appropriately. So important. Um, but Dan did hit on something else super interesting about the culture of our sport that, um, and this kind of gets wrapped up into my, the, the whole Renaissance thing. Um, it was a humbling experience, right. To go, I have been coaching for what, eight, nine years at that point. And I had developed some good offenses, but, um, the, I was just coaching the swing, how it was when I played. And when I played, people had an ERA of 0.8 to one, you know, that was, Jenny Finch and Kat Osterman and Monica Abbott was a young buck right then. And um, that was a very normal thing. You were playing zero to one ball games, one to two ball games. And there was a ton of bunning and slapping and stealing. And, you know, swings were built for efficiency. We'll say like really high posture. You had to be able to handle the upper part of the zone. You probably swung with a flat or a bit of a negative approach angle. Um, and then here we go. Like tech blows the whole door open. If you know the right questions to ask and you're not scared to ask them, 
Um, so that was the step one, finding people that weren't going to make you feel like an idiot for asking questions, even though you've done this full time and you had a, had a good career and done all these things, um, which would be my shout out to, um, not only Josh, but Carlton Salters and Daniel Nicolaisen are two people, Daniel, we lost to baseball. He's with the Cardinals now. Um, you know, but Carlton's just down the road at UTSA. And that was one of my early on, I was like, poor Carlton. I was calling him all the time. Like, okay, what is, what does this mean? And what's going on? And I have this kid and I'm stuck. And, um, but how it worked with me being a head coach on my team that I literally, I had this incredible set of, um, five years. They ended up being five-year starters because they're fifth years right now. They all decided to come back and do grad school and play and finish the journey, which was amazing. But I had those kids from freshmen and the first year they were in the program. It was a lot of like tall posture and be super efficient. And we're going to manufacture runs and hit the ball on the ground. And then by the time they were sophomores, it was like, okay, we're going to leave the swings, but we're going to get the ball in the air. And they were like, okay, well, by year three, that was the whole, you know, 20 degree approach angles. And we're going to daddy hack and we're going to, you know, um, but the amount of times those, and those kids were gracious and wonderful, but like hearing two polar opposite things, it was, it was humbling. So you can imagine I've, I've been the sacrificial lamb at many hitting clinics to this point, just telling that story about like, this is how we transformed our program. Cause that's not what it looked like. And that's not how it started. Um, but to have to stand up in front of a room of a hundred people and be like, I was teaching all of this wrong. That was humbling. And it was hard. So you can imagine back to Dan's point about the, the old guard, right. And the people who've been in our, um, sport for decades and decades, and we're in like, you know, 40 year coaching careers for them to stand up and be like, Oh, it's getting all that wrong. Games changed. That's hard. Yeah. It's, it's going to be necessary in the next five years. You can't hide behind yeah. decent pitching anymore, but. Yeah. That kind of, that kind of brings us to our kind of our last question is uh, like, where do you see the game going in the next, you know, five to 10 years, especially um, I, I wrote a paper on this for one of my master's class for sports marketing. We were supposed to pick what we thought was the most undervalued and undermarketed sport. And I picked women's softball. Um, it, it, uh, I think it was in 2018, 2017, it was the second most watched sporting event, the women's college world series. And so I had, I had said, you know, I don't understand why professional women's softball isn't a bigger thing. Um, and I don't know all the dynamics behind that, but where do you guys see, cause you're both the experts in this area. Where do you see women's, uh, softball going in the next five to 10 years? Uh, Dan, we'll, we'll start, we'll switch it up uh, with you on this Dan, one. what do you got on this one? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think there's, you know, the, just briefly on the professional side, we have these, we have a, a few different groups that are trying to, you know, get a foothold and figure their piece out and, and what that looks like. And COVID didn't help that. You know, I think the NPF had a pretty nice thing going for a little while. And, you know, now Athletes Unlimited is coming, kind of coming through. And we've got a couple of the, kind of the college summer leagues coming in. So I think it's, you know, it's close, but again, um, it, it's going to take some time and, and it's going to have to be, in my opinion, we've actually, myself and our associate head coach have, have literally designed like a plan and you're almost going to have to kind of keep it regional um, to start. So you, those, those names are recognizable. So if, you know, somebody graduates from Texas, they're going to play in the South central region because then they're still going to have that fan base already built up and things like that. But that's a long, another business plan type of uh, podcast. But, you know, I think, you know, we talk, I talk a lot about low hanging fruit and what's easiest to get to. And, and we'll, we'll share this because we're three or four years down the road on this already here at NIAC. But, you know, we, we are just challenging the old norms and figuring out exactly what, um, you know, the swing. People are still arguing about whether it's good to hit the ball in the air. We're, we've been, we've been doing that since I was 23 at, at Cedar Rapids Kennedy. I mean, we, we found the value in that. Um, you know, we knew it was good to hit the ball in the air and, and produce extra base hits. That was an easy conversation to have with our players. I like to hit the ball hard and hit home runs. So anyways, we did that. Uh, that's, that's going to slowly change, but, but getting into the movement side, getting into really truly the player development side and understanding, you know, kind of working through processes. We've, we've scrapped more um, in the last four years than, um, then I, you know, I think people could even imagine because we'll just try something to try it and then get rid of it. And I think people are going to start to have to work through their own processes and figure that stuff out. Um, just, just on player development holistically. 
Um, but I think also combining, you know, the strength side of it, you know, we don't, we have a, our, our athletes lift, uh, three days a week, three hours a week, and we have nothing to do with it as coaches. We let our trainer and strength coach do it, um, which is normal at a, at a division one school, but, but, um, a lot of like, we have to completely change the way we train athletes. And, you know, I, we touched on, um, kind of the scapular mobility and the, the staying hinged and understanding that stuff. We, we see a lot of, you know, that's easy, low hanging fruit stuff. It'll take, uh, you know, actually go back to Mike Latif at Louis and Lafayette. He was 20 years ahead of that stuff. I mean, that's, he was all over that in the early two thousands and it showed because he took players that, you know, weren't the elite and he put a team together that was in the top, you know, competing for a world series title. So, um, you know, little things like that, I think is the direction it's going. Um, pitch design is, is super easy stuff. Um, but I also think just really understanding what's actually happening in softball. You know, we kind of touched on, I, I made this comment a few years ago at the first pit, uh, first pitch stock in, in Chicago, basically I think, and I think the data shows um, that, you know, the four seamer and the rise are very similar in terms of the characteristics and spin efficiency and spin direction and things like that. Two seamer and a screwball, uh, 12, six curveball and a drop for us in softball, a cutter and a curveball. Those, those, so I think, you know, understanding how those things move and what we're trying to do and how to design those pitches um, is going to be big. You know, we don't have going back to that point on, on release points and things like that. We don't have, you know, a Josh Hader or, or niche X or O'Days or sales coming from, you know, literally first base. We've got, we're pretty limited to where we can go. So I think that that window is, is pretty tight, but, but I think there's a lot of rabbit hole things that we've really already started going down. And a lot of people like Megan said, that are already doing that. Um, Carlton Salters has done incredible stuff with everything um, related to softball at UTSA. Uh, he's got um, a biomechanics lab that he he's really tapped into the academic side on this campus. And um, you know, Auburn, um, they're doing some uh, good stuff in some of their grad programs. Um, not sure if they, the softball programs tapped into that, but I know that, you know, they're producing some papers and uh, you know, it's just, it's, it's going to be a lot of coaches um, that are going to have to figure out how to like at night, we, we don't have a ton of budget money. We can't miss on players. And so we have to, if we do miss, we have to figure out exactly how to get this player to maximum, you know, max out this kid. Um, and we have to do that with everybody. I mean, it's, so I think that stuff is going to be kind of the next on the field. That's going to be the next probably two to four years. Um, you're going to see a ton of that uh, really kicking into gear. So in my question, watching uh, this, this sport and for you, Coach Portland, are we, are we somewhere down the line seeing 75, 80 miles an hour? I mean, is the, the, the athletic development, which has been kind of looked over somewhat, you know, um, yeah, are we, or if we maxed, is softball maxed out uh, physically what they're capable of, or, or are we going to see 74, 75, 80? Uh, I don't know. I don't know that anybody's, if you can develop more like Ueno, who's throws for the Japanese national team, she's incredible. I mean, she's, you know, she's dynamic in the way she explodes, but I'm like, I don't know, Dan, what does she throw? 72 max. So yeah, we, there's not many, there's not many 70 mile an hour throwers. I, what, I, what we'll see uh, is that just like in baseball, that percentage is going to go up of, of 70 mile an who hour. Who can do that? Who can do that? Yeah. I don't know that you're going to. You don't think, you think that potentially that those athletes have, have maxed out. I mean, outside of the outliers that can, you know, blow yeah. away, but you don't think we will see the norms. You're saying 75 won't be the new 72 right now. You don't see I don't, that. I don't think so. And honestly, even the amount of people who I, you got to love when you show up to a ballpark recruiting and they're like, Oh, this kid's throwing 69, 70. Like, Oh my God. If I had a dollar for every time I heard that, this is definitely yeah. not the case. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think, um, I, I don't, I don't know what the, the sport looks like. I know, AU was pretty incredible. Um, I am hopeful it made some money. I know a few people that um, got to compete in it and they had an incredible experience with it. So if that kind of business model can jump off, I think that's amazing. Um, as far as what this looks like at the collegiate grassroots level, Dan, that was so well said that yes, there are gonna be people that are gonna have to start to not only work, you know, create their own hypothesis and work through some things, 
but then create a total training plan for it. I think that was spot on. And I think it was brilliant that it's not just, how are you training the swing? And then it's, do you get kids that compete? Do they understand approach? Do they understand how to hunt? Can they read a heat map? Right? Like, are you training kids that can explode the right way and move well enough that when someone's going 70 and up and then, you know, throws a filthy change up, can you do anything about it? Um, and again, we're yes. And it doesn't even matter the level. I, I had a wonderful strength coach at ball state. I can tell you her and I worked side by side that when I would come back with something, or as we continue to tweak our offensive philosophy, Mandy, Mandy adjusted what they were doing in the weight room. And she understood how to train, you know, athletes that explode well, not that moved a lot of weight slowly. And she wasn't training them like just somebody hopping a hurdle. Right. Um, there was, there was a happy medium in there and she understood mobility and where we were trying to make them strong and make them more stable. And, you know, Mel here, she's certified in TPI. She's going through on base you now. And so the more hands on deck, I think that's super important, but yes, it, it leads to an, a complete and total training plan, how you're communicating your, your offensive pieces. And then, yeah, what can they do with it on the field? I, and I love these rabbit holes because at the end of the day, at every single level, do you recruit well? And do you not mess them up once you get them? <laughs> do you get them to compete? Like, do you recruit well? And do they fit your system? And then can they go out there and, you know, feel confident and well-prepared and can they go do their thing? You know, so that's, of course, the, with any of us, that's the most important thing. Do the kids buy in? Do they believe what you're selling? Um I don't know. So yeah, I, I think Dan's right. You, you've, you've got to put some elbow grease behind it. I feel like, um, this isn't anything you can buy. You're going to have to adapt, test it, play with it. Um, yeah, figure out, figure out, I don't know the, the balance of player development. And are you still, is your philosophy on point? Can your kids execute it? Are they competitive? Can they go out and win you ball games too? Which is a whole different animal. Like I've actually, we had a wonderful mental skills coach at ball state. And that was something my, my fifth year, my last year there, I threw a ton of resource behind Dabney traveled with us on the road and she was hanging out in the dugout and she was, you know, kid, the kids are hitting BP on the road and she's, you know, running across the fence, shagging balls. Um, but I would pull her in on those meetings. So like early on, we do a lot of teaching about like offensive productivity and what's it mean and, you know, go through the, the swing elements about rhythm, load timing, what's important to us and why. And I had Dabney sitting on those meetings, our mental skills coach, even, um, obviously our strength coach was in there. Um, and of course everybody in the program, but it, it's all so interconnected, right. That inevitably Dabney's going to remember something from that. Somebody was going to bring up in a group mental skills session, um, and then she could immediately troubleshoot or understand what they were talking about or where they were coming from, especially if she was the one kind of digging into, are they great with visualization? Um, honestly, she had meditation apps she wanted them to do, uh, the, you know, the rabbit hole, the hundred million things. And that wasn't Texas. That was a mid-major on a budget. And Yeah. So it, it sounds like what, kind of what you both are saying, I guess to sum it up is it, it's athletic development or player development at the college level is going to be a more holistic appro approach. I think so. And you can't just buy a software package, right? Like, oh, here it is. You know, here's 75 points in the RPI. <laughs> and, uh, Not how it's going to work. Yeah. First thing, my father, who is my coaching mentor, and it's been for 50 years, you know, 72 year old and still going at it. Uh, when I started working with him, one of the first things he told me, just, you know, has a holistic approach. He said, it doesn't matter how much you know, it doesn't matter if you're 100% right. If that athlete does not trust you, if that athlete does not believe that you have their best interests at heart and you can't communicate effectively, all your words are for naught. And that was Absolutely. that was the first coaching lesson I ever got from a from a real from a good coach was not how well do you know the game, but it was that first lesson right off the bat, which was if you can't speak to your player in a way that they understand, you can't communicate that way, then you're you're not they're not going to hear you. Either. Absolutely, and the best lesson you could have got. The best place you could have started from. Hundred percent agree. And then you know, and then God gives since you're giving me a daughter who uh, at eleven <laughs> years old is officially quit listening to her father about everything. In fact, when we go to to any type of lesson, I tell her, I tell Robert, I said that's your special project. Yep. 
<laughs> I believe that too. Believe that as well. I know. God bless my dad. I, I was that teenager at one point. Well, thank you guys very much for your time. I know both of you are incredibly busy uh, and uh, I've got a lot of things on your plate and taking some time with a couple of yahoos from Amarillo, Texas. Uh, talk about that it means a lot to both of us personally, uh, especially a couple of guys that want to know more and more about softball because uh, we would love to, to have an, a positive effect on the world of softball in our tiny corner of Texas. And, uh, you know, knowing this and talking to you guys, uh, maybe that helps us do it a little bit more. And, uh, you know, again, thank you and both of you. Uh, keep your eye out for an 11-year-old lefty. Uh, for sure. Know, exactly, yeah. So, don't send her to tech or don't send her to <laughs> Send her down here. Send yeah. her to Austin. So, so selfishly on my end, keep your eye out for an 11-year-old left-hander uh, <laughs> that has uh, problems concentrating from one minute to the next. So uh, thank you guys very much. Thank yeah, you. thank you for having us. Appreciate it, Let guys. Let us know anytime. Bye.